Hey, it's Alicia Sani. And I'm Al Donato. From HuffPost Canada, you're listening to Born and Raised, a podcast about children of immigrants living in Canada. We're starting today's episode with Gloria Okoye. Oh, wh- yeah. which one? It's by Vita Soy. She's a Nigerian Chinese arts educator and author. Yeah, yeah. I love them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I met Gloria at her local library to show us one family tradition she's teaching her three kids. I have a nine-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. She let me record her sharing the ritual with her four-year-old, Gabriella. Mama. Gabriella, Gabby, but she goes by Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Do you hear that? That's the sound of a good old-fashioned ear-cleaning session. Very slowly, only on the outer side. Don't go too deep. So what was happening was Gloria was showing me her little pick that she was going to use on her daughter. It looks kind of like a chopstick, but it has a fuzzy end. And basically what she did was start cleaning her daughter's ear. She's stuck on the outside, never going in too deep because, you know, that could cause damage. You get all the loose debris. Watching Gabriella, it was pretty clear that this wasn't the first time and it wouldn't be the last that she would bond with her mother like this. Now, in many East Asian households, ear cleaning isn't just about hygiene. It's also about bonding. For me, I see it as like a very big act of trust. You're near like an organ, a really big part. Like that's your hearing. And also just a closeness, just to have your head rest on the lap. It's like an intimacy and that kind of stuff. Like I never deal with no friends or just anyone that I was like talking to or dating. It was something that was sacred in my eyes. Growing up, ear cleaning was a way for Gloria to learn more about her family. With her head on her grandmother's lap, she'd hear about life in China. She was from Guangdong. And she was talking about how it was in the village. And her love story with my grandpa, like, teaching me all these, like, proverbs and teachings. And just how to be a person, I guess, like, to be loving and... Now Gloria is all grown up, and it's time for her to pass on the torch of cultural knowledge. So I clean my daughter's ears. I clean all of them. And my eldest actually cleans mine now. I just tell them stories about growing up. (laughs) Um, Chinese holidays and celebrations that mean a lot to us. That's when we talk the most. I was lucky enough that my grandma taught me these traditions. It means a lot just to pass on these traditions because if I don't pass it on, it's going to die out. Like it's very easily to get lost if you don't have the roots. I fully got ASMR tangles reporting on this story. Like it was like my ears were also getting cleaned. Which brings us to today's topic, ear cleaning. (laughs) I wouldn't be mad at that. Well, actually, today we're talking about parenthood. So neither of us are parents, right? Yeah, last time I checked. So why are we spending a full episode on parents? Well, being a parent comes with a lot of responsibility. Besides raising happy, healthy humans, as a second gender, we got to think about culture and tradition. Like, what do we pass on? How do we pass it on? And I can't even think about answering any of those questions right now. Oh yeah, same. So we asked our executive producer and mother of two, Andre Lau, to step in. 
So, Audrey, where are you from? Uh, I'm born and raised in Vancouver. My parents immigrated from Hong Kong separately in the 60s, and they met uh, as students at the University of British Columbia. So now that you're a parent, a second-gen parent, walk me through some of the challenges and things that you think about as you try to navigate being a mom and all the cultural things that you might think about with with having two boys. Mm-hmm. Um, as any parent, you want to pass on the values um, and the lessons that are important to you that you've learned um, and you want to give them to your kids. And along with that, I have to think about, well, what parts of the cultural values have my parents passed on to me that I want to pass on to my kids? At the same time, how do I mix in um, my second-gen experience along with that? And of course, there are parts of my parents' culture that I want to just leave out completely that I don't feel are important or um, have as much weight in my kids' lives. So what kind of things do you want to leave out and what kind of things do you want to Keep mm-hmm. keep going in the culture. So as with all things parenting, your best laid plans are never what actually happen. So one thing I wanted to keep was language. Um, I grew up where my parents instilled in me that having our my Cantonese language was really important. But getting there was a struggle. Um, they dug in their heels and they forced me to go to Chinese school. And as a kid, you're like, this is boring. I hate it. I don't understand why I have to do this when my friends are out having fun. So when it came time for my kids to learn Cantonese, I wanted them to do the same thing. And I said, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. We're going to do this together. And of course, life intervenes. Um, We end up, you know, we couldn't find an appropriate program. And when we did, it was too far away. The timing wasn't right. And, you know, I fully recognize that part of these are excuses, but part of it is also they don't want to. And so do I force them to go through something that they're not enjoying um, and that, is such a fight between us. I will say that today, now that I'm grown up, I'm so grateful that my parents forced me to go to language class because now I have these language skills that I can talk to my family and I can, in my work, talk to people who may not be comfortable with English as their second or third language. So it's still a struggle. Like I still try and speak to them in Cantonese and sometimes they'll ignore me and sometimes they'll try back. A big value for me is respecting your elders and um, learning about spending time with them and getting their life story. I think that's a bit lost because we don't have as much family around who are elders. um, And I don't think we're in a big community like I grew up in where you had aunties and uncles and and their elders. So I worry that that gets lost. I mean, for like I live with my grandma. So if I didn't have her around, I don't think I'd pick up the language as much. I wouldn't I wouldn't get that sense of like respect your elders that comes with so much of being from another culture and living here. Um, so I completely understand that. And it's something that's really hard to sort of teach if you aren't living in it. How has being a mom changed how you see your own parents? I am much more grateful for them. I understand a lot more of their sacrifices. Um, and it is very humbling because as a, I look back as a child and as a teen and I was such a brat. And now that I'm a parent myself, you get it. And I'm grateful that they're still alive, that I can try and explain that to them a little bit more. All their hard work and dedication and the things that 
they knew were important values to pass on to me. Um, that it all makes sense now. What kind of things would you like to tell me or advice you'd like to give people like me who could be, a, you know, become a mom in the next 10 years? <laughs> um, it's hard. Everyone's <laughs> going to tell you that. Um, it's really amazing to pass on part of your culture to a little person um, and see their eyes light up when they hear stories like childhood stories of folklore from your culture um, or they share, you know, a celebration like Chinese New Year with their friends, which is such a source of joy for me when I think back about my memories. So, I mean, my advice to you is, you know, embrace the things that were joyful and brought you um, value from your culture and don't be afraid to pass it on and don't feel like a failure if they don't embrace it with open arms. Okay, Andre, I think I have a lot of things to think about, so I'm going to blame you for that one. Don't You can't blame me for having children. <laughs> I know I will, I promise. <laughs> um, but thanks a lot for chatting today. You're welcome. Alicia, that chat you had was so eye-opening. It never even dawned on me that my potential kids might struggle with my culture and not feel the same urge to connect. Like, that kind of freaks me out. If I had kids, my number one fear would be that they had no interest in learning Tagalog, which is the language of my mom and my family. I don't know it super well. I'm not fluent, but I understand most of it. I just, I get tongue-tied when I try to speak it. I sound foreign. And... If they weren't interested in learning, I would feel like they wouldn't understand anything that my family talks about. They wouldn't want to watch TV shows. Like, that would be another step removed from culture. If I ever have a kid, I don't think they'll ever learn Punjabi because I can also barely speak Punjabi. I get tongue-tied for sure. Mm -hmm. I do understand a lot of it, though. My doula with my grandma, uh, my dad and her speak Punjabi all the time. My grandma speaks to me kind of in a mixture of Punjabi and English, which I call Punglish. <laughs> if I marry someone who also is second gen, even if they're Indian, but they they also don't know the language, like it's over. Well, hopefully they love Indian food. Like there's no way they wouldn't. Okay, that's non-negotiable. <laughs> like I don't know all the spices off by heart yet and the order to put them in, but they will love Indian food. Oh yeah. <laughs> Our next story touches on some of those challenges. The musician Briga wants to find out more about a Polish lullaby her father used to sing. The thing is, she only remembers the title, one line from the song, and nothing else. In our house, there was two things that were uh, uh, not a privilege, but an absolute need, an absolute must. And they were education, so going to school, and music as well. My dad played the piano, we had a piano at home, and my dad would play piano every night when we would go to sleep, so we would listen to him in our beds, and then he would just start playing the piano, and he would just kind of let himself go and play songs from the old country, um, play songs that he knew from his youth, also play songs that he heard on the radio in the current moment. So we really kind of grew up uh, with music in the house naturally. The one lullaby that I, I learned about, which is Kukwichka Kuka, um, was the one song that he liked to sing to us when he was tucking us into bed. It was actually the only song he really sang to us, which is so funny. And I only remember like the, the one line, which is Kukwichka Kuka, 
Huapiets. Huapiets banyeshuka. And I always sort of pronounce it wrong. I'm going to try it again. Kukuechka kuka. Huapiets banyeshuka. Kukuechka kuka. Huapiets banyeshuka. Kuku, kuku. Ah, ah. Wadiride, wadiride dina, wadiride dina ucha. And I was always kind of more enamored by the waderi because he was like, I'm like, Dad, what does waderi mean? He goes, Oh, it just means la la la. I'm like, That's a complicated way of saying la la la. <laughs> this is like waderi. <laughs> so this song became a little bit of a um, mystery for me because I didn't really know uh, what the name of the song was or what the lyrics were. And I. The lyrics I remembered, I mean, I couldn't even spell Huapietz, which is boy. <laughs> so I was just like, I was just kind of like, it was a little bit of a, a mystery. Um, so for, for many, many, many years, I, I, not that I forgot about it, but I definitely, I put it aside and, and I was focused on other stuff. By other stuff, Briga is talking about her really cool career as a violinist and a composer. To date, she's released four albums. Her latest was nominated for World Album of the Year at the Junos. In fact, the song you're listening to right now is one of her compositions. It's called Femme, off the album of the same name. Taking inspiration from her father's nightly piano sessions, Briga channeled those childhood sounds into her music. It brought me into questions of like, what is my identity? I mean, I know what my identity is in the sense that there's a lot of bits and pieces. It's quite fragmented, but I mean, I'm okay with that. But uh, yeah, what part of the Polish identity is within me? And yeah, what is that? And, you know, and what is that? How does that translate musically? Briga found connection to her father through their shared passion for music. And little did he know that all of this kind of emoting or feeling or processing that he went through, he indirectly passed down onto us. Because um, he didn't teach us his language, he cut a lot of things behind, but without knowing it, that kind of, that there was something, something within him of his past that was passed on to us through his music. But the mystery of the cuckoo lullaby remained unsolved. Briga's father passed away in 2012. She never got to ask him how the rest of the song went or even what it was called. And she knows Polish, but isn't super familiar. So with only one clue, we went to work. And someone in the office delivered. My name is Nicholas Mazera. I'm a second generation Pole. See, that's impossible. <laughs> I am a new dad and I'm starting to learn some lullabies in Polish. Polish is my first language, but I don't get to speak it as much as I'd like to. I had a lot of fun learning this song as best as I can, and I look forward to learning a lot more lullabies for my little one, Nora, so she can learn the language a little bit better than me. It took a bit of internet sleuthing, like a Google search in Polish or two, but we sort of figured it out. Nick discovered that the song is called Kukueczka, and it's basically about a boy who falls in love with a girl. As he does, there's a cuckoo in a treaty that's kind of... I guess heckling him, warning him. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> what do you mean? It's like, I think it's like, um, stupid is the guy who lets his emotions guide what he's looking for. 
right? So then that goes ties into the last part, which is like you have to have your head on straight when you're looking for, I guess, for love in this case. Ah. Um, okay, I'll give you another cuckoo. In the end, we managed to cobble together the full version of Kukuechka. So he sent Nick's rendition to Briga. la one of one Oh, it was amazing. It, it, actually, it was, it, it's totally amazing. It's very touching because it's a memory that I fed into to the point where I don't know how much of it is me feeding into it, but I know it's real, but like, it's just, it's changed with time. You know, it's so ephemeral in that sense. I know the love is there, but it's like as if it's been just so far away and, and, and that it becomes the, an echo of love. But to hear it, so so there and in such a soft um, delicate manner is really beautiful so I, it's really touched me it's it's gorgeous getting to know her father better through music is something i really admire about briga do you remember the first time you saw one of your parents as a person and not just a parent I think this is something I've been thinking about a lot more as I've gotten older, Mm -hmm. especially because I still live at home. And as an adult child living with, you know, parents, your relationship evolves a lot. And so I feel like I see my parents as my friends now more than my parents. I hear Um, you. Yeah. It's kind of like a weird roommate situation because it's like we all live in the same house, but we're all adults. So life is different now. You're not going to get grounded anytime soon. Exactly. So with my mom, for example, like now we'll be driving down the highway and actually she doesn't even drive on the highway, but we'll be driving. And, you know, if the Bee Gees comes on, we'll sing it together. Like I know all the music from her generation and it just feels like, you know, we're two girlfriends, you know, just spending the day doing whatever, getting our nails done, something like that. But for our next guest, becoming a parent changed the way they saw their own parents. Jaspina Justice is a writer, community organizer, and yoga teacher. Jaspina uses they-them pronouns. They are Guyanese and Indian. Hello, my name is Jaspina Justice. I'm 32 years old. My family and I have been very, we're very, very, very close. But as I got older... In being a queer person and being non-binary, there's a lot of things I could talk, I couldn't talk to them about. Like, I think I tried to come out to my grandmother, but she was just like, ah, no. For the first time in Jaspina's life, they felt distant from their family. Being non-binary wasn't something Jaspina's family understood, let alone accepted. Jaspina's family wanted them to have a safer, more conventional life. They very much want me to have a more traditional nuclear family, and I see a lot of that with a product of colonization, a product of them, the fear that they had for their children. They want them to have the best opportunity possible, and that a lot of the time involves assimilation in a particular way. Immigrants have a lot of secrets, and I notice that, like, and I learn to keep secrets myself, and I think in trying to learn more about myself for a long time I pushed my family away or kept that at a distance because I you know I felt like oh they were maybe they have these backwards views in some ways or they'll never understand this but there was always this like wall that I felt this idea of, well if your family can accept all of who you are 
then are they worth being in your family? And it's something that I've really struggled with. And for me, I've heard it in particular ways in like very white queer spaces, right? Whereas like with you come from immigrants, like, they're all you have, they're your connection. And especially if you're not connected to a broader community and they have this love for me. And I know that it's just making sense of it through so much pain. It's been, it's, you know, it's been challenging. While Jaspina struggled with that idea of family, they met someone special. Jaspina and their partner decided to start their own family. And soon, two became three. So this is Mayari. She is three months old. Her interests include smiling, breastfeeding, and sleeping. Um, and she's our child. When Jasmina was pregnant, they worried about feeling connected to their baby. I was so scared. I was like, what if I don't feel those deep feelings of love everyone talks about? And, you know, when I look at her, I'm just, I'm kind of awed at how beautiful she is and how much I love her. Like, I just stare at her sometimes, and I didn't know I could love so deeply. I really didn't know I could love her, you know, and I feel like it's the greatest gift because a lot of my life has been those walls and not trusting myself. And, um, you know, with her, it's impossibly easy to just let everything, <laughs> sorry, you know, and, and just be a parent. For Jaspina, Mayari's existence has held a key role in healing the rifts that were between them and their family. They saw things in a new light. In, in getting older, you know, and, and also in becoming a parent myself, um, it doesn't make everything just all of a sudden better, but my perspective changes because my role shifted. I'm not just a child anymore, and um, it has given me the capacity for a lot more empathy and compassion um, in seeing uh, my parents and grandparents like do their best for their for their kids. And I, um, for a long time, I think my mother and me were trying to figure out how to relate to each other, especially you know, um, oh. Seeing my mother with Mayari has been really, really powerful and seeing how well she takes care of her and seeing how um, much love she has for her. And see, it reminds me of all those things that I just adored about my mother when I was younger. Jasmina is named after their grandfather and they continued that naming tradition by giving Mayari a nickname in Punjabi. Mayari Piari, which means like beloved or precious. Her getting that nickname was just really, really wonderful, you know, and just being embraced by my grandparents. They've been really embracing and offering so much help. Mayari has also been a bridge for Jaspina's Guyanese side, which they've been estranged from since childhood. It was actually my first time going to like a big family reunion, New Year's, and when I walked in, like, uh, one of my many aunts just grabbed her in a nice way, and, like, they were just passing her around, and they were just like, yeah, eat, we'll hold her. 
And it there wasn't this question of, oh, I haven't seen you in like 20 years. It was like, oh, you have a baby. You're, you know, you're a part of our family. I, I, I didn't realize that, you know, the kind of community that comes around families and babies. And I didn't realize that that was something I would ever be able to access. I mean, again, my family doesn't always know all aspects of me in terms of being queer, being non-binary, all of, you know, the kind of organizing work that I've done. But um, a lot of the time, I, for years, I really truly believed I would not have the opportunity to have a baby. And if I did, it would just, I'd have to do it very in a very singular kind of lonely way. So seeing my family, um, my different families, uh, you know, come by and be excited, embrace and offer help and support. Um, when for years I've just distanced myself. Having this experience is the embodiment of that phrase or that truth that people tell you, you know. I'm actually hoping to be doing more Punjabi lessons because I want to be able to speak Punjabi better with her. I want to be able to read some. My grandma used to write poetry. I want to be able to read some of that to her. I want um, to be able to go to Guyana with her at some point. And these are things that I had maybe not been invested in, in the same way, but because I have a child now, there's, I feel this incredible responsibility to share those legacies. So whatever she chooses to do, she, she can say that she has had access to them. That's all from us. Born and Raised is hosted by me, Aldonado. And me, Alicia Sani. Our producers are TK Matenda, Stephanie Werner, and Aldonado. Our executive producers are Lisa Young and Andre Lau. Additional production work courtesy of Maya Kapler, Katie Jensen, and Vocal Fry Studios. Major love to all of our guests, Gloria and Gabriela Okoye, Jasmine and Mayari Justice, Briga and Nicholas Mazera, as well as Madeline Chung for her composition of Kukuechka and Nick for singing along. And a big thank you to Briga for her song, Femme. You can listen to more by her at brigamusic.com. This podcast is basically the team's baby. And as with all doting parents, we have way more for you to coo at. To see photos of our guests, show notes, and to read a transcript of the episode, check out huffpost.ca. Tune in for our next episode. It sounds a bit like this. My parents apparently met each other and knew upon like seeing each other that they were going to get married. So I just expected that to happen for me. And so I was like, I don't have any sexual attraction to boys. I will meet the right one and it will just happen. I will know. God will say, this is your husband. <laughs> Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>